Okay. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, indeed. Hello. Uh, I'm Zach. I am Chris. And this is Inner Name Here, a fun-filled podcast. Filled with fun things? For fun-filled people. <laughs> um, we uh, just... Uh, welcome back. <laughs> what we do here is we uh, tell, find out about something. We tell a story about someone or something, and nobody knows... Except for the person telling the story. Right. We yeah, all so find out together. Neither one of us know what the other's going to talk about. Yeah. Um, uh, if you ever want to email us, which, you know, this past week a lot of people have, uh, it's internamehearepodcast at gmail.com. Indeed. And uh, follow us on uh, Instagram, internamehearepodcast, and Facebook, internamehear. Please, Ooh. and share what you find. He's really good at that, folks. React to it. It's great. React to it. Do what you need to do. You know how to help us out. You've been doing great. Yeah. Um, we believe. We do believe. Um, so, as a uh, follow-up, I guess, from last week, we were talking about birds Yeah. and not having the sphincter. Right. Yeah, they, um, they just that's drop a good way out to start. their duty. That's a, yeah. a good start to any wow. podcast is a good just duty joke. Jump right duty into talk. the duty. Uh, well, we have a one of our listeners is... An average looking veterinarian and uh <laughs> so uh, he, he he emailed us and let us know that the uh, birds do not in fact have anal sphincters they also have what's called a cloaca which comes from the latin word for sewer yum yum and that's a single opening for urine and feces so they pee and poop out of the same hole and it just falls out so usually onto your car or onto you <laughs> right. okay well i didn't want to talk about this but it's kind of funny for, it, it, now. And that made you in, think in, of it? Well, now it is. <laughs> so one year we went to the beach, and we get to the beach, and I don't know, we went outside, and I don't know what was going on, but we're standing on the porch, and Dad's like standing right behind me, and all these, ironically, pelicans <laughs> fly over, like a, I don't know if they're a flock of pelican pelicans. Oh, yeah, who knows? Um, if anybody knows, let us know. They uh, They fly over, and shit one of them shits on me and they were flying in the direction where it should have hit dad but it basically did like an outline of dad dad never got hit and my back was like coated and i had to like run down and jump into the ocean to clean all the and i swear we'd been at the beach long enough to like get inside take off your shoes and walk outside and then <laughs> i got, got shit, shit on upon. yes so oh lord that's thanks awesome. birds for having weird people well, poles. you could just marvel over how like precise that timing was <clears throat> i don't know if they're doing it on purpose. I, I think that they are doing it on purpose but i really don't think they're smart enough for that yeah yeah i mean but right. i guess that's the you know they get the uh the uh what you call it the blessing of flight but in return, they can't control what comes out of their right. ass. Although for them, it, it doesn't probably, matter yeah, to them. Yeah, whatever. Like, you know, you just let it fall. So, But screw birds. Yeah. But now you know. Yeah, they don't even have to pinch one off, so to speak. <laughs> pinch one off. That's yeah. right. That's our newest. That's our new <laughs> podcast. It's called Pinch One Off. Pinch One Off, yeah. It's actually not bad. <laughs> yeah, too bad we didn't think of that. Well, we just like, did. We could still. 22 episodes ago. That's all right. Um, so... So this past week has been some fun times because the previous four days from when we're recording have uh, all right. been consecutive the hottest day in human history. Yeah, and in recorded history, I guess. Right. Yeah. Every I day's mean, a average temperature is hotter than 
what is it ever like? it's like 68 degrees yeah something like for that. the average temperature for earth right so you know well and i saw something else the other day that was uh talking about miami and how um and i forgive me because i don't remember over what span of years this was but uh <clears throat> at the I, let's say at the beginning of recorded history of like the heat in miami they were having 85 days a year over the certain temperature i think over 90 degrees is what it was right. and just last year it was measured and they were had 135 days oh. over 90 degrees if only like, somebody had been telling us this not just stuff. a small jump right <laughs> like, like <clears throat> holy crap yeah it, but, you know it goes up every year but you know I mean, beer cans and right. and things that's what really matters yeah, but so, if it were to fluctuate, you stay know, cool out yeah. there. But yeah, stay cool. It's not going to get any stay, cooler yet. Stay inside and just listen to us. Yeah, it's much easier. That's why summer's not the greatest season. All you summer lovers out right. there. Right. Well, I'm fat and hairy, so I definitely don't like summer. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, just a little too muggy. Um, did you see the the cre the really crazy thing that was going on this week with the down in Carowinds? I did that crazy roller coaster thing. guy that found the broken that? roller coaster. Oh my gosh! Just by accident, like watching for his daughter or something to come around. Yeah, and like, like it was completely disconnected. When the car came around on it, you could see the gap open and close from oh, the metal. I mean, yeah. it, structurally, that's not going to make the whole thing collapse, but but still, um, I mean, eventually, something's going to happen there. Uh, yeah, it was Carowinds. Yeah, it was Carowinds. It was their Fury, I think, was the name yeah, of it. Apparently like, the tallest roller coaster in the U.S., perhaps. That's what they claim, but I mean, right. it's always. There was one guy, and I can't find, I tried to look him up. Uh, this guy was called Mr. Fury, because he'd ridden this thing like thousands of times, and he was like, it doesn't bother me, I'll keep going on it. He's like, well, it's probably like, because he needs that extra thrill on it. <laughs> but it's definitely... Right. So then, like, the next day after that, there was some fair where uh, one of those loop-to-loop -loop roller coasters that just goes around in circles got stuck upside too. down. Yeah, for five hours or something. <clears throat> yeah. Heck no. Like, I'd rather ride that roller coaster than be stuck upside down on that thing at that fair. I believe Hell so, no. but I don't like them. I don't like I like wooden roller coasters because yeah, they don't go upside down. I like all the roller coasters, but, yeah, that does freak me out a little bit. Yeah. <clears throat> it was the Fury mm -hmm. 325 Giga roller coaster. Giga means, I guess it was the giga, giga. big, it's the bad one, bad to the bone one or whatever. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so the the, st the stalled one was in uh, Wisconsin. Eight passengers were upside down for more than five hours, or four hours, sorry. Oh, oh wow. <clears throat> this guy captured a video at the uh, Forest County Festival when the Fireball Ride, which features a looping track, malfunctioned and left eight passengers stuck upside down. Yeah, it sounded like that one, because I think we were talking about how riding fair and carnival rides is not really something you should do, and like, I, it sounded like that one, the story I heard, it wasn't so much the way it was put together, it was actually like now, if a you malfunction know me, in the machinery. If but. you know me personally, I'm not judgmental whatsoever, <laughs> okay? Right. And if you know me from this, you can tell that I'm definitely the least judgmental person he on earth. He is one of the nicest guys I know. But anything that a toothless high school dropout can put together in half an hour is not something I want to ride. <laughs> so those carnival rides can... Yeah. Yeah, that one, it's certainly something that, I don't know, it's just a loop. <clears throat> right, but it also was just, last week it was just the, in another county, and then in between there it was just folded oh, right. up and put into a truck, and then they mm -hmm. put like 10 cotter pins in there 
in the yeah. bolt to like hold it together. Right. And it uh. takes them 20 minutes to open shop. <laughs> <clears throat> open shop. You know? I mean, and these are like, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you don't have to say anything. You, know, you, you expect, you expect guy, something you... different from a from a fair than you do from a yeah from a amusement park, right? But they at Carowinds, they were talking about how and I can like appreciate were, a good fair, but you know, at not Carowinds, they were talking about like how they inspected it every day. It's like, what are you inspecting? Because that's not like a crack that just happened, like within. Yeah, apparently you're not inspecting, you know, the support beams. <laughs> <laughs> There's just some guy that looks around. Yep, looks, it looks fine from here. Looking it's hot outside. Day. I'm not going out there. <laughs> Let her roll. Did you see it was the hottest day in history? <laughs> well, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. All right. <laughs> and um, I found a story about the <clears throat> a library book that was overdue by 119 years. Yeah, see, there, it goes again because <laughs> I've seen several stories about it. Remember, I brought one up weeks ago. About that one that was 50 years or whatever. And then all of a sudden oh, there well, was like a 70-year one. Yeah. And all of a sudden now it's like everybody's just trying to one-up. That's a good point. <clears throat> I, I'd What's forgotten all that? about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, this one was checked out in February on February 14th of 1904. So Valentine's Day. Jeez. Someone curious about the emerging possibilities of a key force of nature checked out James Clerk Maxwell's an elementary treatise on electricity from the New Bedford Free Public Library. It would take 119 years in the sharp eyes of a librarian in West Virginia before the scientific text finally found its way back to the Massachusetts Library. So, yeah, it ended up, like, I think in a bunch of um, donated titles to this West Virginia library. She found the treatise and noticed it had been part of the collection at the New Bedford Library and, critically, had not been stamped withdrawn, indicating that while extremely overdue, the book had not been discarded. So, yeah, she contacted the other library and... Boom. Wow. Yeah. hundred and how many? 19 years. <laughs> so I don't even, I won't call that as being returned. Like it just happened to find its way back, which is even more amazing, actually. Like no one ever returned that book. <clears throat> they, it was in someone's house and it got donated. And yeah, yeah. I mean, wonder they, what the story is. I mean, somebody just, they built their entire yeah. library from the town library. Right. So yeah, they discovered a book that was overdue by 119 oh, years. Oh, as they say around here, library. 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 That's how you know. Um, yeah. So that's uh, you know, I, but I think that it's definitely one of those things where we we started noticing things like that more. Maybe these return book stories, or maybe the news oh, sure. started to. Well, I mean, like anything else, like you were saying, um, and I'd forgotten that you had told that story, but you tell one, and then, well, okay, yeah, other people are like, wait, I have one, like that dog's tongue world record. Right. It's like it wasn't a thing until it was a thing. Now, the, the, and, I guarantee you within a month there'll be another world record, re- world record-breaking dog tongue. Oh, sure. Yeah, because no one was measuring. Somebody's standing <laughs> on the dog's shoulders right now, pulling the tongue out, holding it. Right. Just to stretch it for that extra quarter inch to win. Oh, yeah. Please don't do that at home or anywhere, actually. Well, take yeah. your chances. With, you depending know. on the dog. Unless you're Some our, dogs might deserve yeah. it. Our veterinarian friend would know how to do it the right a way. Dog, a tongue stretching? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. That's what we... Yeah. Do well, you do tongue stretchings? Can. Hmm. There's you another can. question. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> the same with the uh, nipple elongations. As All well. right. Yes. Yeah. You know, yep. they, they're getting into a lot of really precise detail in dog surgeries these days. <laughs> Nipple elongations. Yeah. Is that a real thing for a dog? Sure, why not? You oh, can do whatever. I thought you actually had had a story about no, it. I'm that's like, that's well, this week's uh, name I'm giving you. Yeah. This week, Nipple elongation. <laughs> that's our episode title. See how many listens we get on that one. 
Yeah, I don't know if we get that many. We definitely had. Uh, thanks for everybody for listening recently because we've definitely had a big uptick again yeah. on listens. Yeah, we, we actually have uh, some new listeners in France and in uh, Ireland. Ireland, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome. Good day to you. <laughs> Is that how they say it there? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I haven't. I'm not somebody 100% does. On somebody that, does. Yeah. <laughs> Good day. Pretty sure. Yeah, somebody does. We can mock it's... the Australians. None of them listen yet. <laughs> That's yeah, what, that's what matters. Where most. are you, Australia? Yeah, come on. Um, Leslie Van Houten, you know that name? That name sounds familiar. Is this a bad person? It was one of the uh, members of the the Manson family. She was oh. one of the uh, the girls still in prison. But mm-hmm. uh, the headline is <clears throat> Leslie Van Houten, follower of cult leader Charles Manson, is one big step closer to freedom. So California's governor announced Friday that he won't ask the state Supreme Court to block parole for Charles Manson follower Leslie Van Houten, paving the way for her release after serving 53 years in prison for two infamous murders. Wow. So, yeah, in a brief statement, the governor's office said it was unlikely that the state's high court would consider an appeal of a lower court ruling that Van Houten should be released. Gavin Newsom is disappointed, the state said. More than 50 years after the Manson cult committed these brutal killings, the victim's families still feel the impact, the statement said. But it made it sound like the beginning that it was his decision not to pursue it. But maybe it's not his decision. Well, it's not decision. worth the yeah. pursuit, I'm thinking. This I guess, probably Because yeah, she's got to be probably, what, 80? It says uh, she is now in her 70s, okay. so yeah, I'm getting there, is serving a life sentence for helping Manson and other followers in the 1969 killings of Lino LaBianca, a grocer in Los Angeles, and his wife, Rosemary. Hmm. Yeah. She could be freed in about two weeks after the parole board reviews her record and processes paperwork for her release from the California Institution for Women in Corona. All right. I think in California, it's like 25 years. On a life sentence, you have to serve 25 years, and then you can be paroled. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, I guess they think that she's not really a threat at being like some 75-year-old lady. Right. I mean, it says she's thrilled and she's overwhelmed. She's just grateful that people are recognizing that she's not the same person that she was when she committed the murders. Sure. But, I mean, how how easy is life going to be now after that long in prison? Yeah. It says she's been in prison for 53 years. She just needs to learn how to use an ATM machine, let alone a cell phone, let alone a computer. Or everything. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I mean, yeah, I we mean, know people that live with stuff and like they hit the wrong uh, input button on their remote and <laughs> the whole system shuts down. Oh, they dude, don't know what they're doing. I do crap like that, and I fancy myself as pretty keen on this technology <laughs> right. thing. Yeah, we, <laughs> you wouldn't believe how high tech we are here. Um, Indeed. So yeah, I, I thought that was pretty interesting as well. And as of a couple hours before, we're who knows what'll happen, but uh, this is breaking news as much as we can be. Uh, a murder suspect described as a survivalist escapes from jail weeks after being captured following a prior manhunt. Oh, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. It's this guy that looks like another guy that we know. We right. won't name names, mm-hmm. but he looks just like somebody else we know. Uh, this is uh, Michael Burham. Burham, 34, is a, su- is a suspect in the homicide and other cases in Jamestown, New York. And he's being held in the Warren County Jail in northern Pennsylvania on arson and burglary charges. And it was also associated with a carjacking and kidnapping of a Pennsylvania couple Jeez. while trying to evade capture in May. So he was on the run. He killed somebody, was on, on the run, did all this other stuff. Then they captured him, and now he's broken loose. It sounds like he just enjoys life on the run. Probably pretty thrilling for he him. He said he escaped this past Thursday night. 
and it was last seen about 11.20, and we already said this to each other, but he was wearing an orange and white striped jumpsuit, a denim jacket, and Crocs, <laughs> and then the article says, though it is possible, he has since <laughs> changed his clothing. Yeah, sure hope so. I mean, I think you might have caught him by now. <laughs> he, he's so nondescript in his orange and white prison jumpsuit. <laughs> that, that why would he need to change? He just right. blends right in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So if you run into this guy, <laughs> but if you're not living in this uh, Pennsylvania area, and do they do prison issue Crocs now? Yeah, I think they. Well, huh. I mean, I don't know if they're they're Crocs because Crocs, Crocs are kind of expensive. they got a name. I can't think of what it is. If you've been mm. to prison, you know what they're called. Then email us. <laughs> right. We know a couple of you out there probably know. Yeah, huh? Crocs. Yeah. Um. So. That's some stuff that's interesting. Yeah. I, I've got one more, actually. Okay. And this one, most of mine aren't even from um, the odd do stories we have a, section. Do we have a world record? Um, I do have a world record, okay. actually. So you give me a second, I'll get to that, too. Okay. Uh, you reminded me. So All right. There we go. Um, this one, a Texas man reported missing as a teen in 2015 was only missing for one day. But he's been missing since 2015. Right? Huh. So in Houston, the case of a Texas man who was reported missing as a teenager in 2015 and found last week at, at a church took an unexpected turn Thursday when police revealed, I can't read tonight, when police revealed it all was a hoax. The man was only gone for a day, but he and his mother maintained the ruse for eight years by re- using false names. Prosecutors did not file any charges against Janie Santana and her son, Rudolph Rudy Farias IV, but the investigation is continuing. Houston police detectives... Oh, I read that all wrong. That's what they said. They gave few other details about where the, they believe the case could lead. Santana's family said they suspected Farias was not missing and blamed Santana for keeping him away from them all these years. We're upset the authorities are not going to do anything. Oh, I see yeah. what it is. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering what the payoff would that would... would of that would be they they pretended he was missing so then he wouldn't have they wouldn't be able to take him to the in-laws family or whatever right yeah um and it kind of sounds like that um and no charges are filed investigators concluded farias returned home the day after he was reported missing but quote the mother janey continued to deceive police by remaining adamant that rudy was still missing during the past eight years farias and his mother had various interactions with officers police said during these contacts fictitious names and date of births were given misleading the officers and rudy would remain missing after Farias was reported missing, Houston police and Texas EquiSearch, a civilian search and recovery team, looked for him without success, although his dogs were later found because he was out walking his dogs. <laughs> <clears throat> Let's see. There was something else. Uh, Rodriguez said her late mother, Rosa Souza Rodriguez, had been living with Santana and kept telling relatives that Farias was living in the house with them. My mom would always tell me, Rudy is here. He's there. He's in that room, Rodriguez said. And Janie said, no, she's lying. She's losing it. Zamora said Santana claimed the person friends and family were seeing was not Farias, but her nephew, and um, that the family always argued with her about that. So it sounds like they all had a feeling. So instead of even, like, looking into this room, they just like, well, she's losing it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I guess it sounded like, and there's a lot of story here, that uh, she kind of had a hoarder lifestyle, and the uh, mother slept on the couch. Like, there was no bed there for her or anything like that. It was filthy with, like... uh, animal feces and mm, cool etc etc but um after police announced that farias had been found santana released a statement saying he is receiving the care he needs to overcome his trauma but at this time he is nonverbal and not able to communicate with us so um he was found like kind of a uh, non-verbal and non-communicative outside of a church like this mm. week 
And that's what kind of, or not this week, but recently, and that spurred the whole story on. And so, yeah. Huh, like, interesting. So who knows why he was found the way he was found, and maybe that's where the investigation is trying to get well, to the bottom. It not seem like they're really that interested in doing much of anything about it. Like, Yeah, it's kind of interesting, because it does sound like they devoted some time and money to you know, searching for him back in the day. So it seems like there would be some they gave sort it a whole of, day. Right. I mean, maybe not jail time or something, but it's you like know, somebody's like, missing at sea and you just stand at the beach and put your hand over your, <laughs> on your forehead and hold the sun out yeah. of your eyes and be like, no, nope, don't see him. It's the same guy Let's that inspects roller coasters at Carowinds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, they yes. just call him down to Texas yeah, or wherever. I can't wherever. do two things yeah. at once. <laughs> you want me to look for this kid or you want me to look for this roller coaster? <laughs> right. Wow. Oh, All that's right. hilarious. All right. So and you give me a second on this world record. Here it is. <clears throat> All right, what, what? Iowa man's collection of 70,000 pencils being evaluated as possible oh, world record. God. Colfax, Iowa. An Iowa man may, <clears throat> may be well on his way to an official world record for pencils. Aaron Bartholomew of Colfax has been collecting wooden advertising pencils since he was a child. Now he claims to own more than 70,000. That's substantially more than the Guinness World Record for the largest pencil collection, which is 24,000, held by Emilio Arenas from Uruguay since 2020. So, and these guys are, I hate each other. <laughs> right? Bartholomew told that told this uh, TV station, KCCI-TV, that his most treasured pencils are those from his hometown, noting that in many instances the pencils, quote, are the only place where there is any record of that business still, and I think it's just a neat way to preserve history. Last weekend, two counters from the American Pencil Collectors Society were at the Colfax Historical Society to count Bartholomew's pencils. Now he's waiting to hear if the count is approved by Guinness, which estimated the review process could take up to three months. God. <laughs> right? Like, well, I mean, they, they have to count them. Are they just drinking too much? No, they have to count them. They, they probably have to count, count them ten times. Ah, that's a good point. 70,000 pencils. Yeah, that is a lot of pencils. It's got to take right. at least an yeah. hour to count. Right. Yeah. Maybe an hour and a half. <laughs> I'm no statistician. <laughs> Indeed. That's like one... one uh, I think we could have an whole episode. one pencil like, a minute. You're talking about how long it might take. Or we could just have an episode counting pencils. Enter time here. Yeah, enter yes. time here. Um, you guess how many we're going to count, and then we're going to count All right, them. so we're going to give you a bear story, and then we have our dad jokes. Yep. Our weekly dad joke. Yeah. Our bear story is dog owner, dogs, sorry, well, the dog owner and dogs <laughs> escape charging bear in a New Jersey backyard. Oh. And the owner charged the bear? I guess chasing the dogs. <laughs> no. A, the couple, a New Jersey couple's security camera captured footage of the tense moment their dogs narrow, narrowly escaped a black bear by darting through the door. Huh. Okay, and then this guy, Joseph Damiani of Annandale, said he heard his dogs barking outside, so he went to the back porch to investigate. <laughs> I hear a bunch of woof, 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 he told WCBS. <laughs> Please. The dogs, <laughs> this is a quote on the article, the dogs shoot right past me, and then I see the bear. I'm sure, I was told that my Nebraska accent was really bad, so I don't want to do a New Jersey accent, so. Um, I wish you would (laughs) I hear a bunch of woof 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 the dogs shoot right past me that's not even close I'm sure I think you're a little far north maybe I don't know he's in in a car anyways uh, Joseph said the dogs made it inside leaving him to watch from outside as the bear tried to charge into the house oh wow Shirley Perlinski (laughs) Joseph's girlfriend tried to lock the door but the bear's shoving the bear's shoving her left 
sh- the bears str- shoving left her struggling to hold the door uh, closed. It was oddly written. worded sentence, I think. But, I just tried to lock the door, but I couldn't because the door caught got caught in the leash. So oh, I was God. fighting. I was fighting the bear. The bear was pushing the door this way. I was pushing the door that way. Holy crap! Um, she posted the security camera footage of the incident to Facebook. She said that she knew that he was still outside with the bear. <laughs> That's my boyfriend, and I love him very much, but I couldn't let the bear inside my house. <laughs> and this guy was able to run around the house and come in the front door. Um, oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Wildlife officials told them the bear was likely lured to their yard by their bird feeders. And Shirley and Joseph have said that they have now emptied their bird feeders <laughs> right yes. i call them squirrel feeders at my parents house yeah, that's... <laughs> and that was, makes me think of that video we just watched earlier where that dummy opened his like looked like a bedroom window oh, and yeah. like said hello to the bear it's like hey what you like, doing what you doing yeah. the bear is like eating it's on nature is metal yeah, the, on instagram the bear is like Check a foot away out. from him i mean and he's like hey what you doing there bear hey no, 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 no. and then the bear's like rah and rips his like swings his paw yeah, at him. smacks like, the camera like Ugh. good Stop messing with bears. The camera. But please don't stop messing with bears or we'll run out of a story every week. Yeah, so don't stop messing with bears. So those are bears now for our newest fun time, which, you know, is (laughs) fun for us. You know, hopefully you like them too. Send us your dad jokes. We might use them. I've got one this week is, uh, what do you call a pudgy psychic? Uh, I don't know. A fortune teller. Ha ha. Yeah. Although, pudgy, do you going to have fortunes? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know when that joke was written. Yeah, that's good. Um, <laughs> mine is from the same list I used last week because I heard you weren't using this list, but you might know this one. But I liked it, so I got to tell it. Okay. What's Forrest Gump's password? Jenny. Uh, <laughs> one Forrest One. Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> that one's pretty bad. That one's pretty bad. That uh, one's pretty bad. And yeah. that's this week's <laughs> Dad Jokes. <laughs> uh, great. Well, that's a good, uh, that's a good uh, segue yeah. into, I guess, getting started on our names for the week then. Oh, yeah? Is yours a dad joke? One big, yeah. long oh, dad well, joke? Oh, well, let me, one more, one more thing. We were talking about, we're still going to end the season at the same time, but my dad's uh, surgery has been pushed forward Indeed. because of something that happened with the the donor, but it's uh, now scheduled for like right around uh, Labor Day. So, Indeed. we're still you know pretty optimistic. I'm st- it's going to happen, but I think that something came up with the donor's personal life one way or the other. Who knows? Yeah, we don't know the person. So, so good news is it's still going to happen. It's still on the list and everything, but it's just been moved back. So actually, it'd be better because we'll be in North Carolina and it won't be the middle of july <laughs> right i was that's funny i was thinking the exact same so, thing like yeah, it right. won't be that i mean it'll still be hot but so yeah you know, send out the good vibes for him and uh, for all Indeed. of us and uh anyways so uh pip so i'm gonna i'm gonna go first this week and actually what's funny is a couple i don't know it's probably been a few episodes back you talked about the 627 Boulevard, 657. Oh, yeah, the Watcher. Yeah, it's, um, I forget the address. 627 yeah, Boulevard, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was Boulevard. Well, you, weirdly enough, I'm going to do a house as okay. one of mine. So, uh, mine is the Winchester Mystery House. Oh, God, this is on my list. I won't be doing uh, this one. Well, yeah, too bad. I have heard of it. I don't know a whole lot about okay, it. Okay, well, 
this the Winchester Mystery House is a mansion in San Jose, Cal- California. I didn't even know it was in California. And right. it was once the residence of uh, Sarah Winchester. So Sarah Winchester, I'm going to call her Sarah because I don't understand, and I didn't see it happen much, but it said that they called her Sally, but that doesn't even make any sense. I've heard such After things her grandmother, about the name but Sarah. Every right? other, yeah. Everything that I read and saw all said Sarah, so I'm just going to call her Sarah. Fair enough. Uh, Sarah was born in 1839 in New Haven, Connecticut, and then she grew up, and in 1862, <laughs> she married William Wirt Winchester. Uh, Wirt. And William was the only son and the treasurer of the founder of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. Repeating so, Arms? Yeah, that's just the name of the gun company. But uh, Repeating Arms, they were the ones that, I mean, it used to be your single shot. Oh, I got you. Yeah, that yeah. makes. I I, yeah. I understand now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my brain wasn't making that connection. I okay. got you. Yeah. Uh, in 1866, they had a daughter named Annie, and Annie lived to be about one month old, and she died from marasmus, which is a f- severe form of malnutrition. Oh, you <laughs> know, still. I mean, that's not that long ago, but people don't realize how good we got it. You know. Yeah, sure. And this was her only child, and. You know, I think that some of this stuff kind of adds up to Sarah becoming who she is, right? Okay. Uh, in 1873, so a few years later, the Winchester Model 73 was released, and this is known as the gun that won the West. So then the right. Winchesters really started making money. Mm-hmm. They were already pretty well off, but now they're really making that money. And from the time, okay, so she's getting richer, the family's getting richer, you know, everything's going good. And then it isn't. Because from 1880 to 1881, her mother, her father-in-law, and her husband all die. Oh, wow. And her husband was only 43, and he died of tuberculosis. And because of this, there wasn't anybody, you know, because he was the only son. He was basically the only inheritor of the estate. Mm-hmm. Well, she got the inheritance, and that was estimated at, about $20 million in today's money, plus about half of the stock in the Winchester Company. Oh, wow. <clears throat> right? She was quite wealthy. Yes. Well, uh, in 1884, her oldest sister also passed away, and Sarah started to develop rheumatoid arthritis, and things were starting to be bad, right? Mm-hmm. So her doctor, she's still living in Connecticut, but her doctor said she needs to move to a warmer and drier climate to help improve her health. So, makes sense. Um, at the same time, she also visited a medium. And this was well a little bit after the death of the daughter and and her husband. She went to this medium, and he told her that she needs to travel west as well. Um, yeah, so, people would go <clears throat> consult a medium and a doctor. Right. Well, it was pretty common for wealthy people to go see mediums at the time. Yeah, I've read about that. You know, like there it was, was a lot thing. of seances and yeah, things like yeah, that. Yeah, there right? was a, so, a point in time. 1885, at age 46, she moves to California. And people say that the reason why she moved to California is because of the happy memories with her husband of traveling to San Francisco and also the warmer climate and health benefits of California. Yeah. You know, so. Um, but... She also believed that uh, the ghosts of those killed by Winchester rifles were, would haunt her. And I think some of that came from that medium. 
Oh, okay. interesting. So anybody that died from the Winchester was haunting her. Yeah. So sounds like the basis for the more recent movie that came out. Unless you're going to well, talk about that too, I'll, I will. I'll shut my mouth. Uh, she moves to California and she meets up with this agent for that's an agent for Winchester. And this guy's name is Ned Rambo. Oh wow, and Ned Rambo. Yeah, there are several Rambos that go to school at uh, Virginia Tech that huh. I've seen their names like. All know, right, they might be related work. to old yeah. Ned. Yeah, it could he be. He was the San Francisco uh, real estate agent for yeah, Winchester name. Company. Nedford. And no, his name was <laughs> his name was Edmund. Maybe uh, I'm that's not too sure. bad. Um, Nedford would be great. <laughs> Nedford. Uh, Nedson. <laughs> Nedson. Uh, they eventually find, they talk and they find a 45-acre ranch near San Jose. So right outside, which probably it's in San Jose now. And back then it wasn't. <laughs> right, back then it wasn't, sure. Um, and she purchased the property from John Ham, And not John. Not, not, the, not, not uh, I mean, this is maybe the John Ham. He was before. Right, not Mad Men John right. Hamm. And on this property was... Uh, a two-story, eight-room farmhouse, and she called the new home Lalanda, Landa Villa, maybe L L A N A D A Landa. Yeah. Okay, so she buys this house and she starts to renovate the home. You know, uh, partly because she had this love for architecture that she got back when they built their home back in New Haven, right? Right. And she wanted to expand this house because by <clears> now her niece and her remaining three sisters all live there too so everybody just kind of came with her oh wow it was a long trip you're not gonna ever see your sister again if you don't go with her right you know yeah for sure um and so right then is about the time that they say that the beginnings of the longest home renovation in guinness world book so there's a world record for you it's the longest home renovation lasting almost 38 years until Is that how you found this story? Tell me. Yeah, I looked up home renovations. <laughs> uh, it lasted until Sarah passed away in 1922, so it was 38 years I was going for. Wow. Um, there are lots of different things. There were lots of different thoughts as to why she was building this house, but mostly because of the ghosts. The, the ghosts controlled her, and the um, never-ending construction project. So, like the whole reason was the ghosts, right? Okay. And she designed every room in this house and supervised the project and took advice from carpenters. I mean, she would listen to everybody, try new things. If they tried something that didn't work, they'd tear it down and rebuild it. Like, wow. Just constantly. So she had a house in constant flux. Yes, all the time. And yeah. some some places I found that said it was continual, like 24 hours a day. Wow. Okay. So I, I'll get into that later because there's a lot of things that said it wasn't exactly that much but it was right. constant right uh the project was unusual for a lot of reasons not to mention all those things but including that women didn't usually look over any sort of projects like this sure right? you know um during this project she was known to rebuild and abandon construction if things didn't meet her expectations and mm-hmm. then the san jose news in an article in 1897 it was reported that a seven-story tower on the property was torn down and rebuilt 16 different times oh god okay so did she just have these guys like on payroll basically she did yeah yeah um and because of these things you know like these tearing down and rebuilding and tearing down and rebuilding and adding and moving and 
the house is filled with walled off windows and doors that weren't removed. So like they build onto the house and just to be a window, there's a window in a room that mm-hmm. is, there's another room next to it. There's not like it's looking outside anymore. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Some parts of this house had gone up to five stories. Oh, wow. Remember this started out as like an eight room, two bed, two story farmhouse. Right. <laughs> uh, there's some insane numbers with this. All right. So this is now, it actually was bigger at one point, but 24,000 square feet. Oh, man. 10,000 window panes f- for the house. That's 3,500 more window panes than the Empire State Building has. <laughs> All right. Wow. There's 2,000 doors on the pro- on the, in the home, 160 different rooms, 52 skylights. 47 stairways and 47 fireplaces. Ah, so this was an obsession. 17 chimneys, 13 bathrooms, six kitchens, two basements, three elevators, and one shower. Wow. And showers were the thing. Like, yeah. Poor people didn't have indoor plumbing, not to mention a shower. Yeah. yeah. And partly the shower was partly because of her arthritis. She couldn't get in and out of the tub. Uh, so and it wasn't step it wasn't common for women to bathe then, but still she wanted to be able to bathe and she couldn't get in and out. And she had servants and assistants and stuff, but she didn't want to burden people. So mm-hmm. But there's there's all sorts of weird features. Actually the gardens in this place have twelve thousand hedges. 1,500 major plants, trees, and shrubs. So, like, established big trees and shrubs. This is all data from today, right? And Sarah was obsessed with the number 13. (laughs) Now, some of the closets in the the house have 13 hooks. Uh, The entrance hallway of this place has 13 ceiling panels. The 13th bathroom has 13 windows. And she designed all sorts of stained glass in in a lot of these, like, Custom made expensive it's stained say glass. Thirteen windows, but okay. If it's um, got... Yeah, a uh, special window she designed had thirteen of these fancy stones in it. So I mean, she liked the number thirteen. Interesting. One of the rooms in this house is they call it the séance room, and it has like it's a square room about the size of the room that we're in. You know, eight by eight probably, mm-hmm. and it has uh, lots of doors to get in there there's lots of ways to get in but only one of the doors can get out <laughs> it was you know like this was thought to confuse the ghosts oh i got you. there's these ghosts of all these people right right they were killed by the winchester guns so there's there's these stairways that go up to nothing there's, you know there's stairways that go up to the ceiling and just stop there's other stairways that you go up and you open a door and then it's just a drop off. There's trap doors. There's hidden passages. So she's trying to keep the ghosts from getting her, basically. Right. Um, another room adjacent to her bedroom has no floor or ceiling. So it's just giant, empty space. And, like, if you go in the wrong door, you can fall into that. Like, huh. um, This whole thing was built at a price tag of $5 million in 1923. <laughs> Which is about $71 million today. Holy crap. And at its largest, this house had approximately 500 rooms. Wow. Yeah. Um, there's lots of other unique features of the house. like Indoor plumbing everywhere. Right. Um, hot and cold water. I mean, 
she had like this grand ballroom made and, and everything was made out of like redwoods and mahoganies, but she didn't like that stuff. She said so she had stuff painted over. They used this special, I can't remember the name of it, but it's like a, only palaces and like the White House has like this treatment that walls get. She would put that over top of things. Huh. You know, um, so she would build it with the finest woods, but yes. then cover it up. Yes, with well, still with fine things, but right. um, there were trap doors, like I said. There were stairways to nowhere. One stairway had forty-four steps that go up ten feet. <laughs> so it's a stairway in this one section, and it's this back and forth stairway, and there's forty-four steps, right? And the forty-four steps only increase ten feet from top to bottom if you go as a distance, but. The reason for that was because of her arthritis. She couldn't pick her feet up. Oh. Um, she was also like four foot ten or something, so she was already a small lady. Right. So this way, was she could walk up the steps. Like I said, she didn't want people to have to take care take care of her like that. She right. had servants to help. <laughs> which, I mean, sure. Um, she wanted to be independent. I right. Suppose. Yeah. Stained glass everywhere. Intricate details. Like I said, on the even the doorknobs are like hand carved coppers and you know. Wow. All sorts of stuff. Intercom system in the place where you'd push a button which room you were in and it would tell the servants' quarters where you were so they could find you. <laughs> um, There's also this other type of intercom system where you could talk into these tubes in a room and you could hear it in the main area. It would go through tubes in the house and you could hear it. This was all like high tech, wow. right? And, and what year is this again? 18, it's like... From 18... So Eighty to nineteen twenty-two. Yeah, nineteen twenty-two is when it stopped. Okay, yeah, she died in nineteen twenty-two. Right. Yeah. Um, rare. Like I said, uh, she tried to make everything stay the art and easy for her and her servants to use. She even had in the stairways, you know, the little corners. They have these little pieces of hardware that you put in the corner to keep the dirt from accumulating in the corners. So she was trying to make it easier on her servants. Huh. She had, uh, um catch trays and underneath the fireplaces to make it easier to get all the ash out. I mean, she was doing all this, but she was also making it really hard for the ghosts to keep in touch. And, and that's right. the crazy part. Right. <laughs> um, so many of the projects, oh, so, comma, many. Sorry, I read my notes wrong. <laughs> many of the projects were believed to be to escape from or hide from the spirits or to confuse them, right? Oh, and for the first 20 years, many of these projects were built up, right? So, like, then the, the house was four or five stories, the tower, 500 rooms at this point, right? And 1906, the San Francisco earthquake caused the seven-story tower to fall and most of the chimneys. An entire wing of the house, along with all of the third and fourth and fifth floor additions. So, most of the projects after this, after the... Um, earthquake were built outwards instead of upwards okay so the house then started expanding it used to be in a smaller footprint but now it's taking up a bigger footprint but it's shorter right uh most of the projects at that point were actually mostly were to clean up and clean up rooms and stuff that's why there's doors that open to nowhere uh pipes that just stuck out of no, out of the walls wow um, what a strange place. Stairways that went up to the upper levels would just end abruptly. And for the rest of her life, they continued to work on projects, right? Right. So September 5th, 1922, Sarah's asleep and has heart failure and dies. Okay. And all of her valuables were given to her uh, niece, 
Only I think all of her sisters had passed away by then, so her niece was the only family really left. And her niece was named Marion Marriott. <laughs> Another funny name, and I couldn't find. I don't think this. It's from what I could find, this was a publisher of a newspaper. It's not the Marriott. It wasn't family. the Marriott. No. All right. Everything else besides her valuables was sold as auction, sold at an auction. And as soon as the workers found out that she had died, they immediately stopped working. And some even like left the nails, like they're halfway putting a nail into something. They just stopped where it was, and there's still oh, nails wow. sticking out of walls and stuff. Wow, so she'd driven all of the uh, workers crazy No, as no, well. no. When when Sarah died, then everybody when they found out, everybody just stopped working. Oh, uh, well. Like, they were like, well, then uh, well, there's no point in working now. Our project's over. Right, yeah. You know? yeah, um, yeah, the forever project is done. Right. So when they're, they're taking all this stuff, it took six trucks, six weeks of men to remove everything from the house. It took wow. that long to get that much stuff out. And because of the uh, earthquake damages and the fact that after that there wasn't a lot of going on as far as like fixing, you know, uh, the the appraisers valued the home as worthless. Hmm. And um, worthless. because of the the damages and the nature of the construction. And the windows to nowhere. And you're right. And the fact it was unfinished, right? Right. It was never going to be finished, right? So, uh in auction, it was finally sold by or bought by uh, John and Mamie Brown for $135,000, which is $2.4 million today. Remember, it's like, on, I think it was on a 45 acre lot, too. So. Wow. Well. Um, the, John and Mamie had lived there for 10 years. Uh, they basically were the caretakers because Sarah, after that earthquake, didn't really come back that much right. because of. The damages plus her health and stuff was getting worse, and she owned a ton of other houses all over the place. So she would come back and check things out, but she didn't really live there. So it anymore. wasn't even like her sole residence, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, there's. I, I think I read that she had at least ten homes just in like Southern California. Isn't that crazy? So, um, in less than a year after Sarah died, Mamie opened this house up to the public and became the first tour guide. And so this is probably where a lot of the lore was developed is because there's no reason why she did any of this and there's no plans. Right. They still today will still find, occasionally find secret passages and secret rooms and stuff. Like things. Still find out. Stuff, yeah, you know? I bet. Um, if, at one point they even found in the ballroom, they found a safe within a safe. The only thing that was inside of the safe was uh, obituaries for her husband and her daughter and a lock of her daughter's hair. So, I mean, that's how lost she was after that right wow, wow. um but I don't, I don't i don't think she'd like hated like she didn't hate her existence or anything she but she just wasn't it didn't seem like she was overly happy right yeah yeah she seems obsessive um yeah. right so past neighbors of hers friends and workers were distressed when they started to read about these superstitious claims being made about the house and sarah and they were upset that the Browns were making money off of these falsehoods. Yeah. So they described Winchester as clear-headed and savvier with finances and businesses than most men. So they're saying that's not who she was. She wasn't really building this house to like hide from ghosts or whatever, right? All right. She's clear in the head, right? Uh, there's a book called Captive of the, La Captive of the Labyrinth. And uh, the author, Mary Jo Ignafo. Wow. Uh, wrote that guides had to follow a script that emphasized inaccuracies and fabrications. And one guide said, 
I feel so torn because I have to tell people untruths. Every time I go through the house and look to talk about 13s and other kooky things, my heart breaks a little for Sarah. I have to bite my tongue every time I hear a guest say, what a nutcase. Yeah. The name Winchester Mystery House came from a visit. Probably they, they claim Harry Houdini visited and was impressed by the place and said to call it that. So, um, <laughs> it was a big deal. Right? Oh, yeah. By the 70s and the 80s, 1970s and 80s, it began to renovate because the place had really gotten in disrepair. And they added a rifle museum. They added billboards in the area that implied that a ghost encounter was possible. Hmm. So... Hmm. Uh, her st- story has been embellished and exaggerated over the years by various rumors, hyperbole, and myths. And popular writers have misinterpreted or invented details about the house and its owner in order to enhance the legend. Yeah. Makes so sense. there's a couple yeah. things. Like moving to California, there's no record of the medium that told her about this. So they'd have the name, but like there's a whole list of people that were doing this and nobody can ever find this guy's name. So, oh, right. um, they, there's no reason to, to believe that she really lived there, moved there because of ghosts. And it wasn't uncommon, like I said, for women to go to mediums, but there isn't any proof that she actually did. All right. So the construction, the story was that she thought it would be bad luck if the constru- construction stopped. And eventually she believed that she would die if it stopped. And the real story is that it did stop sometimes, including a nine-month period during an expo in 1915. She actually just wanted to keep local workers employed, which is one of the main reasons. Plus, she loved design. So she was a mm. philanthropist and wanting to help people. She had so much, right? So she was just giving them the work to yeah, do and keep building, doing you know? whatever she wanted oh, to I do. Oh, I want a conservatory. I mean, the conservatory, she had two of them. She loved gardening. And they even had openings where you could put the plants down and pour water the plants, and the water would run out to the outdoor gardens. Like, that was like a feature nobody ever had in their house. So, like, yeah. she was very thought-provoking but the the house is just so weird Mm -hmm. um the belief that winchester built her house in this strange maze-like manner to confuse and keep spirits from harming her uh was questioned was questionable started their sanity was questionable started in mid 1890s the doors and windows that opened to nothing uh, the unusually shallow stairs the stairs that in the ceiling interior barred windows and trap doors on the floor are used to confirm her spirituality and poor state of mind poor state of mind um they all have simple explanations you know the barred windows were previously exterior um the doors and windows that opened to nothing were a result of the earthquake uh the small steps were because of her health and her height yeah. trap doors were because of that conservatory um even after the earthquake she didn't have the house rebuilt she just had it maintained and cleaned up oh wow um, people used to say that the tower bell was to summon spirits, but it was really to call workmen and to call and to serve as a fire alarm. <laughs> um, there's no, there's, there's claims of music coming out of the house, but if Sarah couldn't sleep, she'd go to the grand ballroom and play her gigantic pipe organ. So, hmm. um, yeah, so the, it was unlikely that she really had a problem with ghosts because the Winchester was considered a successful business and weapons were viewed as necessary for survival at that time. So, yeah. um, so she, uh, she had all sorts of, she aged and her health declined. She would appear in public less and less, which made people think, you know, something's going on in there. Sure. Uh, her, 
a companion of many years, Miss Henrietta Severs, states that Winchester had no superstitious beliefs. Her relatives, employees, and gardeners never made claims that she was superstitious, guilt-ridden, or crazed. And all of her employees were named as beneficiaries in her will. Oh, wow. So she took care of people. Yeah. Uh, let's see. The carpenter, James Perkins, the items, the weird things like the 13s and stuff had more to do with the irregular features, uh, which have made the house a world-famed oddity, were built after her death. Huh. So her staff, who spent every day with her, said she had no interest in seances, and there's no record of them being held in the house. Interesting. Now, there are false urban legends that claim that she held nightly seances in the blue room, it's the other name for the seance room, or in a closet by herself from midnight until 2, talking to ghosts about what construction should be accomplished. There's no report of any of that. Um, huh. They were... Uh, th- th- another reason why they don't believe that kind of stuff is because seances usually weren't... They were public... Like, friends came over and did seances. You didn't normally do them by yourself. It wasn't that oh, was right. thing. It was right? like a group thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and the blue room that they claimed was the seance room was actually the gardener's bedroom. So... Uh-huh. You know, so um, visitors today still claim to experience cold spots, footsteps, smells, sounds, whispering, doors and windows opening, feelings of being watched. Um, yeah, hmm. it's some of that's confirmation bias and suggestibility due to publicity and rumors that the house is haunted. Some people say it's the most haunted house in the United States or even the world. Wow. Some people say that there's a thousand ghosts inside the home. Well, but just the sizeness, the size and strangeness of yeah. it. It's uh, sure sure to invite those sorts of rumors. Um, one report of a shadowy figure turned out to be a staff member. Uh, there's no Weird. evidence that the house is haunted. The it, the it is common for large, rambling, and drafty old houses to have temperature variations. And so there's lots of different shows and movies and everything you can yeah. go on youtube and find a bunch of stuff history channel stuff there is a film called winchester that came out in 2018 yeah, which is a car it has 13 on rotten tomatoes yeah yeah but helen helen mirren plays sarah in that movie yeah yeah that's interesting yeah, i'd heard from one person that it was good but i um i didn't take that review it had 73 percent liked it but 13% on Rotten so, Tomatoes. So, you know, check so it out. Critics if you want. didn't like it, but viewers liked right. it. Right. Um, the Haunted Mansion ride at Disney is inspired by the story of this house, the Winchester Mystery House. Oh. So as, to, as of today, there have been 12, over 12 million visitors to the mansion, and it's considered like a top destination, most mysterious place on earth, top 10 haunted place, top 10 haunted place to travel by the Travel Channel. Top haunted destination, uh, top haunted place. But so that some of this just keeps on yeah. building this story now. And like they think now that they try to give like the both alternatives, but the the idea of it being the ghost house and stuff is what gets people. Sure. Um, for eight ninety nine, you can go on their website and get an immersive three hundred sixty degree tour of the house, and it's <laughs> and it's for ever. You buy that eight ninety nine, oh, and you, you can, can just, just access it forever. You can just keep going back. Yeah. Huh. Uh, there's a if you if you're in San Jose, you can tour it for thirty nine ninety nine, or you can take the Victorian candlelight tour for forty nine ninety nine, which <laughs> I think would be probably cooler to go at night. Oh, for sure. And so that's uh, Sarah Winchester and the Winchester Mystery House. 
It's neat. I'd almost like to go uh, go tour that. <laughs> road trip, man. Yeah, road trip all the if way to California. If you live in San Jose, let us know. We'll come visit you <laughs> for sure. We'll sign. We'll sign whatever you want. Your autograph. <laughs> Sorry, I've, I've sent my notes away over you got, here. You got enthralled by the. So yeah, it's just it was well, interesting because yeah, the the whole idea of like the house just being built to avoid ghosts and stuff. Yeah. There's so many different weird features and cool things to look at at that house. It's really hard to, like, detail it. But, I mean, it's just kind of interesting how, like, just stairways stop and doorways. Like, there's one doorway you just, at the end of a hallway, you open a door. And if you're not paying attention, you can just fall out into the garden. <laughs> right. <laughs> you imagine. Fine. <laughs> I guess it depends on what part of the garden you're in. Uh, all right. I got all my stuff ready now. Sorry. Okay, his I'd, stuff is ready. Well, I had, um, you had said something there and it reminded me that oh wait i had a an extra little thing to go along at the end of my story okay because i like extra little things but um well it can't be longer than five minutes i guess yours was the creepy story that turned out to i guess you know maybe the creepiness is debunked perhaps right. it is ha haunted in all of those things she it's also in wasn't mind. into all of those things but most hauntings yeah. are in your mind anyway so sure just go there with the i mean that's unopened my opinion, mind but you know I guess I believe some things are haunted. They say when really bad things happen in certain places that there's a bit of badness left behind and that you know, yeah. it's palpable. You might just so get a speak. feeling or something. Oh, yeah. It's the badness. Yeah. 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 But it only happened from <laughs> the look 19, on your face is 1930 <laughs> and before because, like we said before, right? nobody in Jinkos is ever a ghost. Well, basically, ever since the Internet has existed, you can't believe anything. Right. <laughs> Or believe everything. Do your or own believe research. everything. Right. And um, so, yeah, speaking of, my story comes from Reddit. <laughs> All right. And it was a story I'd heard. Um, I thought I had heard it on one of my favorite podcasts called The Strange Sessions years ago. But they just recently did this story. And it's what made me think of it again. And I was like, oh. Well, where the hell did I hear this story? So I don't remember where I first heard this. Okay. But it's uh, it was always really interesting to me. It was um, part of a subreddit called A Glitch in the Matrix. And um, getting back here. Um, so on this subreddit, lots of people just post things that they believe to be like a glitch in the Matrix. Like, uh, I don't know, like you were sitting at the bar talking to this guy and, um, you know, you had a telling a good story and later on no one remembers like this guy being in the bar except for you like even the oh, bartender's yeah. like no you weren't sitting there talking to anybody yeah. and you're like no i certainly was right <laughs> so a glitch in the matrix or you know mandela effect but that's kind of it thing, that's so. 11 after you got to the bar at <laughs> six so. <laughs> right so yeah a lot of those because you hear those bar stories it's like well yeah you were probably drunk like just just saying I mean, you know, and thought you were talking to someone. But. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, what counts as a glitch? It is, uh, there have been an influx. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. As you may have already guessed, this subreddit is meant to be, uh, to be a place to post glitches that happen in real life. And in real life is in bold. This means that, quote, software glitches or, quote, digital glitches are not allowed. This can include, but not limited to, game glitches, social media glitches, or device software glitches. So glitches don't count. Like electronic stuff. Right, yeah, count. I got you. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, Photoshop content is not allowed in the subreddit, obviously. Furthermore, posts that include realistic movement, physics, are also not allowed. This can include, but not limited to, regular shadow movement, regular cloud movement, regular animal movement, all of which we have seen on this subreddit. So this little post I'm reading is uh, 
the moderator saying, stop posting all of these things. These aren't glitches. Oh, so, I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of defining what, what uh, a glitch is. When uh, telling about the community, it says, welcome to Glitch in the Matrix. This is a sub for posting pictures and videos of strange occurrences, occurrences which are colloquial, colloquially <laughs> called a glitch in the Matrix. This includes but is not limited to lighting illusions, out-of-place objects, duplications, implausible-looking scenarios, and, quote, broken textures. So my story is about is about a Phantom Ruby Tuesday. <laughs> and so this story showed up the restaurant? Yeah. Yeah, it's about yeah. a it's about a Phantom Ruby Tuesday. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I was so, kind of determined if you were going to talk about the song that it actually didn't exist, <laughs> no, or the restaurant. No, no. Although my extra thing at the end is extra fun because you just brought that song up and it does kind of involve that. But uh so on this uh, subreddit, this story appeared, and I'm going to read from it. It says, uh, my best friend found this subreddit. He told me that I need to share this story. It's kind of weird and unbelievable, and I have no proof it happened, but if you want to hear a story, gather around. In the winter of 2009, my brother and I took a road trip from Portland, Oregon to Port St. Lucie, Florida, and back again. We made the trip to visit my sister, who lives in Port St. Lucie. She and her husband just had their first child, and my brother and I were excited to see the newborn. Aww. Right? Aww. This that starts a, out nice. It's a hell of a road trip, The too. glitch is, is <laughs> they were, right. it was her gay husband. Well, I can say at this point, the trip does go fine. Um, they, uh... On the trip to Port St. Lucie, they had taken a combination of freeways from the northwest all the way down to the southeast corner, basically a diagonal route, but several times throughout the voyage, they were tremendously delayed by snow. The trip, which should have taken no more than three days, ended up taking five. I'm like, three days? Y'all were just driving straight through, I guess. But right. because of this delay, we had to cut short our visit with our sister's family. On the trip back to Portland, we decided to take I-10 the entire way. This stretch of freeway runs all the way from Florida to Los Angeles, which I didn't know about, and would completely keep us away from the snow. The I-10 route added several hundred miles, but we both needed to be home for work the following Monday. So I guess they're going to drive to L.A. and then north. To get back to Portland, <laughs> well, I mean, I would, I would assume, or I guess it'd be a lot longer if they drove south. Yeah, well, right, go yeah, all the way around. Yeah, they're not going to get there. Get it's going to be a while. Too. Yeah. <laughs> the first day of the return trip was uneventful, but we did manage to drive 1,300 miles from Port St. Lucie to San Antonio before stopping for the night. Ugh. Right. The plan was to make it all the way to Las Vegas the next night, which would leave us with about a 14-hour final day drive. The trip was going well. It wasn't until we left San Antonio that the glitches started happening. The car we took on this trip was a 2008 Honda Civic Hybrid. The entire trip, we had been getting right around 35 miles per gallon. This is digitally displayed on the dash. So we had become very aware of how many miles we could squeeze out of a tank. We knew to refuel around 350 miles, but we also knew we could stretch that number into the low 400s if need be. About 100 miles outside of San Antonio, I noticed the fuel gauge has dropped noticeably faster than usual. So I clicked the button to change the dashboard display, only to see the car was getting barely 26 miles per gallon. At first, I was shocked, but I reasoned it to possibly driving uphill the entire way. There's a question mark uh -huh. there. He's like, I still don't know. I thought throughout the course of an entire tank of fuel that it would eventually balance itself out and we would finish the tank within the 35 mile per gallon range. I was wrong. And he's right. I have one of those digital things on my dash and it fluctuates. Usually, I end up getting the same mileage out of my tank of gas, you know, minus yeah. 10 or 20 miles you know right like, yeah i mean yeah but so those things are only so accurate i think but um 
99 percent of the time you don't need it to be that accurate anyway right you know Unless like they were saying across the, the desert right. or something they knew they sure had got... 350 miles then right you know like maybe a little bit more i kept a very detailed log of this entire trip and this one stop in fort stockton texas is the only anomaly in the entire book the car which had consistently held around 35 miles per gallon gallon suddenly finished an entire tank off at 25.8 miles per gallon that is over a 100 mile difference in the vehicle's normal range i still to this day cannot figure out why there was such a drastic shift in fuel consumption in that 300 mile stretch from san antonio i've reflected on that tank of gas several times since this happened and i've almost come to the conclusion that it was an intentional glitch in order to make us pull over where we did um, and I put in the notes kind of in the middle of his story. It's kind of similar in my mind to Betty and Barney Hill, actually, and they're missing time. At right. least where yeah. this story, once you know where it's going, it's like perhaps they've passed through something that they didn't realize that, hey, we were driving a lot longer than we thought, but somehow we've like glitched out of that amount yeah, of time. Yeah, I mean, you like, just like blank yeah. out. You're, you're paying attention right. when you're driving, but... When you're driving for that long, it's easy to miss a whole town or something. And he doesn't really explicitly state it in his story, but my feeling was like, well, your only reason for bringing this up would be, well, you think perhaps something like that is going on. Like, you don't know what happened, but, like, you're saying this is really weird. Because later on, when you hear the rest of his story, you're like, hmm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Like, hmm, I don't know about all that. But All right. um, our original plan was to refuel about 50 miles later in a town that I cannot remember, but we obviously ran short on fuel. Anyway, with our GPS program to Las Vegas, Nevada, we headed back onto the road in which the GPS directed. Pretty soon after we got back on the road, we realized we were no longer on I-10 heading west. Instead, we were north on Highway 285. He says, here's a today I learned for some people. I had to look up what T-I-L was. Today I learned. Oh, okay. Evenly numbered highways and freeways are heading east-west while odds are north-south. Yeah. I knew that, but um, when I heard this story on Strange Sessions, um, the one of them did not realize that. Hmm. It's like well, She's like, well, I've been on one that didn't run north-south. So it's like, well, yeah, I mean, directionally, sometimes they're going to go east-west, but, right, but they're the called... Overall. Right, 285 is north-south. <laughs> yeah, and that goes with all route right. numbers. Yeah, all, all route the way numbers. down to... Like local route numbers. Right, whether it's a highway, interstate. Evens or east-west. Yeah. And it goes, uh, number gets higher uh, going east-west. Oh, is that? Yeah. yeah, So on this side, you got this one. But on the other way, north-south, the numbers get bigger (laughs) west-east. Interesting. So like if you're on highway one, you're going to be out in... Going to be out west, going north south. Yeah, I think so. And yeah, then yeah is in California, north south here. Huh. You know, and then yeah. Highway 100 or whatever it would be would be a Minnesota area, right? And Highway One on the east west or whatever. <laughs> Somehow you've just yeah. made this. I system made it all confusing. confusing. I just screwed it all up. <laughs> Damn Eisenhower. <laughs> Blame yeah, yeah, not next week's story. That's for sure. It might be. Maybe we'll have to learn about it. <laughs> uh, Sorry. We didn't think much about being off the... Oh, it's all right. It's all right. That's what this show's all about. <laughs> we didn't think much about being uh, off the interstate because many times throughout the drive, we had been directed onto bypass highways. We assumed this was just another such instance. After about an hour and a half of driving on Highway 285, we crossed into New Mexico, which was about two hours later than we should have crossed the border. By this time, we realized that the GPS thought this was a more efficient way to go to Las Vegas than uh, 
even though by all accounts is about an hour faster if we stayed on the uh, on I-10. We were annoyed, but decided to just stick it out with the GPS and keep heading north through New Mexico. Nearly five hours after refueling in Fort Stockton, my brother and I were hungry and decided it was time to find somewhere to eat. Driving through this part of New Mexico is kind of lonely. There are very few towns in there, and where there are towns, they are small and on the verge of becoming ghosts. Um, I think their economies are built around... I said um, but I'm going to follow that um up in a second. I think their economies are built around helping travelers fill up their gas tanks. Other than that, I cannot see a reason for them to exist. And my um is... Uh, I actually put it into my notes, but... um. I looked up an investigation. Also, uh, there was a link on uh, Reddit to this investigation this uh, Redditor did um, and posted it on Imgur, or is it just Imgur? I think he just pronounced it Imgur, but it's spelled I-M-G-U-R. I think it's Imgur. Is it Imgur? I think it's yeah. supposed to be like Image. Though. Oh. Uh, yeah. We don't know. We're old. Anyway, man. yeah. The pics look exactly as you might suspect a desert ghost town to look, I wrote. They show abandoned... Um, the show Abandoned on Vice Channel. Have you seen that before? Yeah. Um, they did the episode on Route 66 and going through all those like desert towns and stuff. Right. These pictures I saw is exactly what this place looked okay. like. So you're like, wait, there's a Ruby Tuesdays here? Hmm. All right. <laughs> My brother and I have talked about what happened next so many times, but we still cannot figure it all out. We passed through a small town with a couple gas stations, and we know the town was named Vaughn, New Mexico. And then about 20 miles later, we drove through a town called Encino. Sino, New Mexico, which did not have a gas station. That we can recall. In fact, the second town didn't really seem to have much there, if anything. I wasn't sure if anyone was even living there. I seem to remember questioning why it existed in the first place, but then quickly dismissing it and driving right through. Not even ten miles after passing through Encino, we surprisingly came upon a city-slash-town that wasn't loaded in the GPS. This wasn't a big deal, because I was using a cheap handheld that lost its signal all the time, but usually the only things it didn't display were newly built roads and recent construction areas. We all know this now. The city was definitely not brand new, so I figured the GPS was being buggy. The oddest part of finding the city, neither of us remembers seeing any warning we were coming up on a town of this size. No signs, no anything. It had several fast food joints, restaurants, hotels, motels, grocery store, um, and even some bars. If I were to guess, I would say this city was roughly ten to 20,000 people. We decided to pull off and grab a bite to eat. Normally, we would probably just have grabbed fast food, but we had already decided uh, we didn't want to do that, and my brother had seen a Ruby Tuesdays and really wanted to try it out. There were a couple of Ruby Tuesdays around the Portland area at the time, but neither of us had been there, and we had heard they had a pretty good salad bar. <clears throat> so <laughs> this guy's writing his own story, you know? Um, he says, for the rest of this story, I will be in, and my brother will be G. This does come into play. <laughs> we pulled into the Ruby Tuesdays parking lot, got out of the car, and walked into the restaurant. Immediately upon entering, a waitress who was milling around the hostess station says, Oh my word, is that N and G? Both my brother and I answered that it was indeed us, and the waitress went on to ask how life was in Portland. Suddenly it clicked. This girl knows who we are, but we are over 1,000 miles from home. Did we know her from back home? My brother and I gave very basic, vague answers to her question, and I could tell she was kind of unsettled that my brother and I were being evasive. When we were seated, my brother immediately asked me where, he, where we knew her from, which was the same question I was going to ask him. I told him that I had no idea who she was and that she obviously had mistaken us with some other people. Not more than a minute later, this guy bartender comes up and says, No fucking way, GNN, you back for jobs? What? 
My brother went on to tell the guy they had us mistaken with some other people. He laughed and dismissed my brother's response as a joke. The bartender continued on seamlessly and started asking us how we fared in the three-month anatomy and physiology course we had taken at Oregon State. I remember thinking, all of a sudden, this is not a coincidence anymore. My brother and I had taken a three-month, 15-credit AMP class at Portland State University when we were in our early 20s. We were in our late 20s when this interaction happened. Finally, I asked the guy exactly where they knew us from, and he just kind of paused and started looking me over. Then he said, oh, damn, you guys just look really similar to some people that used to work here. He apologized and claimed he had to get back to work. After a bit, our food came, and my brother and I noticed they had switched out our waitresses from the girl who, our waitress from the girl who recognized us when we walked in. That wasn't a big deal, although a bit strange. Next, a guy who I can only guess was the manager starts walking over to our table with a big smile on his face. As he gets within about ten feet of us, he kind of starts looking over my head and stops. I think someone behind me was directing him not to talk to us. After he received the message, he sharply turned 90 degrees and walked away without saying a word. This had quickly become the most awkward meal of our lives. Yeah. It went from people acting like it was a celebration for us to have shown up to a celebration for us to have shown up to everyone avoiding eye contact with us at all cost. After we finished up with our meals, the waitress came and told us, and I'm sorry, I don't know why I emphasize, and told us the cash registers were frozen and that our meal was on the house. I really wanted to ask the waitress what the name of the city was that we were in, but I also really wanted to get the hell out of there. After leaving the restaurant, we were running pretty low on gas, haha, so I decided to refuel before we got back on the highway. I assumed the name of the city would be printed on the receipt, but we were not so lucky. The city strip was a one-way road on the eastern side of the highway. When we left Ruby Tuesdays, the only way to turn was right, and it headed straight back to northbound 285. In order to refuel, I would have to head north on the one-way street and turn right on a side street to head back to the southern part of town to get to a gas station. About 20 minutes later, we found a truck stop at the intersection of 285 and I-40 where we finally filled up. I don't know why he told that whole part of the story. To me, at first, it said, when I first read it, sounded an when i i'm sorry when i first read it it sounded like he uh was gonna say we were trapped in the town you ever seen trapped in paradise oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they couldn't leave the town but no that's not what happens the rest of the trip was very ordinary we talked at length about how weird that ruby tuesdays was in the middle of new mexico we came up with solutions about how we had doppelgangers with the same names we joked about how people that look s- similar follow the exact same paths in life regardless of their upbringing we talked ourselves into it being a major coincidence When we finally got back to Portland, we decided to do a little research and find out the name of this town. Here's the Google Maps picture of that stretch of highway, and I included the image in my notes. I, I don't need to do that, but... We know we refueled at a truck stop at the intersection of 285 and I-40, which means that we had to have passed through Vaughn and Encino, so there should be a city between the truck stop and Encino. I don't see anywhere on the regular map or the satellite map where this little city could possibly be. We have never really been able to answer what happened that day. I can still vividly remember the waitress's face of unease by the way my brother and I were behaving. The bartender's voice changed when he figured out we were not the people he thought we were, and thinking the manager looked identical to the actor Ken Moreno. When I looked up Ken Moreno, he did not look familiar to me. So I'm like, how who the hell is hmm. Ken Moreno? But anyway, huh. my brother and I know this stuff happened, but we have never been able to find the solution. Maybe some Redditors can give me an answer, or maybe this was just a glitch. Maybe someone has driven that stretch of road and knows the town. Apparently, my brother and I worked at a Ruby Tuesdays in the middle of New Mexico. 
<laughs> weird. Yeah, so weird story. There's lots of weird stuff like that on that Reddit, uh, um, or that subreddit, rather. And I don't know, they're kind of neat. Like, obviously this person could have just written this story. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Had just but, seen that movie, uh, Vivarium. Oh, I haven't seen the variant with Vivarium. Oh, Vivarium. I haven't with seen the, that either, actually. With the, the the entire housing community where all the roads look exactly the same. Oh, and I know the movie you're talking Jesse about. Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, this one, um, uh, it's it's just an interesting story, I think. Like, I, I, I like things yeah, like that. It's um, so weird. Because to me, it's like, well, the way it was written is... It's like, I don't know, he seems like a pretty normal dude. <laughs> right. Well, maybe, but I mean, he is but, taking a log of right. like how long this is true. he's filling up on gas. I mean, some people are kind of just yeah, nerdy, I mean, I nerdy get it. that way. I and get like, it, but yeah, I mean, it's not like you're crossing the Oregon Trail and you need to really keep track but, of how many ears of corn your horses ate. Well, I mean, I've known I mean, people to keep notebooks full of all sorts of sure. random information, which makes me think like this guy might be a writer. And he wrote this story, Could or be. had this idea for a story, as he was taking this trip. And they did actually right. take this trip, and a lot of this did actually happen. Was there anybody right. that had found, uh, had mentioned the town that had that Ruby Tuesday, or anybody? Well, um, all of the people on Reddit and anywhere I could find information about this, um, none of them could really like that guy who did the investigation on Imager or Imger. Um, he couldn't find any evidence of any of the things that they said they saw, like being there. Like he drove and took pictures and stuff, and like yeah, and there was nothing there. Like people have quote unquote investigated this, and like no, none of what they say can be like proven that that city was there. That Ruby Tuesdays, there's only one in New Mexico, and it is not near where they were. <laughs> wow, so, New Mexico yeah. killing it. They got yeah. only one Ruby only Tuesday. One Ruby That's Tuesday. great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I not a sponsor. Thought it would be fun um, to, uh, like I did last week, I did chat GPT just, and I'm not going to do this every week, but I have done this for some of my stories just to see what it tells me. Right. And this one was particularly funny okay. because you can tell like, you know, where the AI maybe got a little confused about what I was asking it to tell me about, though it did okay. know about what I was asking it to tell me about. Okay. The Phantom Ruby Tuesdays is a captivating urban legend that has circulated among fans of the rock band, the Rolling Stones, for decades. According to the legend, there, a legend, there exists a hidden alternate reality version of the popular restaurant chain Ruby Tuesday, known as the, quote, Phantom Ruby Tuesdays. The elusive establishment is said to appear spontaneously and mysteriously in various locations around the world, vanishing just as quickly as it arrives weird <laughs> like chat GPT. so if you get in there and you eat do you actually have actual food dad right i mean these guys seem to have felt like they had eaten i mean he didn't I mean, say it that, is a great salad bar it is i mean i've only been to ruby tuesdays once and it was a, a damn fine salad bar no nowhere has salad bars anymore so it's probably the only salad bar but the lore surrounding the Phantom Ruby Tuesdays is shrouded in intrigue and speculation. It is rumored that this ethereal eatery is accessible, accessible only to a select few, often associated with the world of music or dedicated fans of the Rolling Stones. <laughs> huh. The legend suggests that the doors to the Phantom Ruby Tuesdays open only at a specific time on a particular day of the week, further adding to its enigmatic nature. 
Those fortunate enough to experience the Phantom Ruby Tuesdays describe it as a surreal dining experience like no other, no doubt. The ambience is said to be infused with a mystical aura, with the air humming with the iconic music of the Rolling Stones. The walls are adorned with rare memorabilia and photographs of the band, creating a nostalgic atmosphere that transports visitors into the heart of rock and roll history. Rumors persist of encounters with legendary musicians and celebrities who allegedly frequent the Phantom Ruby Tuesdays, making it a meeting place where fans and artists unite in celebration of music and camaraderie. Some accounts even speak of impromptu performances by members of the Rolling Stones themselves, as if the restaurant exists as a conduit between different dimensions, connecting fans and artists in a realm beyond our own. ChatGPT really got down on this story. ChatGPT's uh, like, <laughs> right. smoking something. Making stuff up. As with any urban legend, the Phantom Ruby Tuesday's existence remains purely speculative. Skeptics dismiss it as a figment of collective imagination, attributing sightings to coincidence or elaborate hoaxes. However, the allure and fascination surrounding this mystical dining establishment continue to captivate fans, sparking their imagination imagination, and perpetuating the legend of the Phantom Ruby Tuesdays as an enchanting part of rock and roll folklore. <laughs> that's Isn't that interesting. Funny? Of all the restaurants that it would be, it'd be a Ruby Tuesday. <laughs> and that's right. where like, Jimi Hendrix would play like a show right. with... Uh, Kurt Cobain or something? Right. Come on. Well, it's funny because ChatGPT telling me that story reminded me, um, and I'm not going to read this whole thing that I put in my notes because I ended up going a little longer than I thought I was, but uh, Stephen King has a story called You Know They Got a Hell of a Band, and it's um, I'll read a little bit of the beginning of the the concept of that story. Clark and Mary Willingham are a couple traveling through Oregon. Clark is being transferred out of state, so they opt to take a more scenic route. The two plan to visit Tokety Falls, and Clark insists on taking a road through the deep forest, despite Mary's fears of becoming lost. While she takes a nap, Clark does indeed become increasingly lost on a narrow stretch of road. He's <clears throat> then forced to admit to Mary that he's given up hope of finding Tokety Falls, and that furthermore, he had rejected an opportunity to turn around. So when they get on, they get um, into this little, they come across this town in this restaurant um, <laughs> in this town. The town is called Welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven. And the diner they find is like filled with all of these old rock and roll stars, these dead rock and roll stars. Okay. <laughs> so the whole story, it's kind of a bad story. It's not one of my favorite Stephen King stories, and I love Stephen King. but okay. uh, Not a sponsor. Not a sponsor of this story. <clears throat> Although, I mean, it's kind of a clever idea, but I'm like, ah, you only got this in a book because you're Stephen King. <laughs> but it right. kind of reminded me of ChatGPT's version of the Phantom Ruby Tuesday. <laughs> right. So, that was... I mean, do check out some Stephen King. Okay. Maybe skip this story. Of all the restaurants, though, it couldn't be like... <laughs> right. I, I don't know. Outback? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or even a McDonald's, for that matter. Although, I guess they were trying to skip the fast food. Was but... Ruby Tuesdays around when that song came out? I, I think that, that probably came out in like the 80s or the 90s. You know, so. I mean, I think that's worth taking some time to Google while we record this. Yeah, I, I would think that Ruby Tuesday... All right, I'm going to make a guess. The restaurant Ruby Tuesdays... Opened its first location in 1987. All right. All right. Let's see. That's my guess. I'm not looking I, at I it. I haven't looked at it yet either. Um, I am going to go a little bit earlier. I'm going to say 1980. 
All right. All right. All Let's right. see what does it say. I'm going to only talk like this uh, when I... <laughs> I am going to Wikipedia, and I'm just going to turn around like this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Ruby Tuesday Incorporated is an American multinational food service retailer that owns, operates, and, fran- and franchises Ruby Tuesday restaurants. The concept was started in 1972 oh, wow. by Samuel Sandy Beale III. Okay. Well, that makes a little bit yeah. more sense. Let's see. The corporation was formed in 1996 as a reincorporation of Morrison Restaurants Incorporated. So maybe it wasn't called Ruby Tuesdays until much later. But, All right. Yeah. No, we were both wrong. So we were way. both pretty wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So well, if you're out you know, there on the road listening to us and you need to stop. Right. Well, it did, um, you know, it's summertime, road trip time. Like, I've always really wanted to go drive through some old deserted desert towns and stuff. Oh, like, yeah. that episode Route of Abandoned. Six, Route about, 66 would be yeah, fun. Yeah, like, it would be a lot of fun. So, that whole idea, like, there's Twilight Zone episodes about diners. Cars, and the entire and, cars franchise oh, right. was built around that. Yeah, true. So, yeah. And I mean, there's all sorts of, like, rock structures that are shaped like old Buicks and Cadillacs and stuff. <laughs> oh, right. You know, I mean, it's got it's got to be cool out there. It's got to be cool out there. <laughs> there's for giant, sure. there's giant roadside attractions. You know, yeah. So yeah, maybe one day, maybe one day that'd be fun to do. Well, if, if we can set up a visit trip right. where we get to San Jose to check out this house, <laughs> I guess they do it. You ever seen the movie Paul? The alien movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they go uh, eventually go on to Route 66 in that movie as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's been in a lot of things. It's been in a lot of things, yeah. But they do a lot of desert traveling in that movie, too. So, yeah, driving through the desert, I think, would be a, you know. Well, that could be an episode of Crackers, movies where they drive in the desert. Yeah. Oh, God. You know, that could probably get pretty interesting. We'd have to make up our own list. So, yeah, keep on checking out our Crackers episodes. Yeah. We'll keep on making making some of those, even though we're going to still call the season one about the same time. Um, Hit us up on our email, like you know to do uh intername here like podcast you know intername here podcast at gmail yeah. what intername here podcast on instagram yeah and intername here on facebook yeah and f- tell your friends and tell any ghosts or yeah ghost servers at ruby tuesdays yeah. you know weird glitches um, in your imagination yeah and uh you know go on organdonor.gov as we tell you all the time sign up give them up give them up y'all it's all sorts of cool stuff you can do now and you can go on websites and find out i think it's eight people can be saved with your organs and up to i want to say up to 40 or 50 people could be affected by things that you could donate oh wow between skin and huh eyeballs and all sorts of things so yeah so you know i did not you won't need it so give it up yeah and uh thanks for checking us out and we'll see you guys on the next one thanks y'all